reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 50. I tell you this, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can the perishable inherit, nor can the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I will tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of the eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead shall be raised imperishable. This perishable body must put on imperishability. This mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable has put on imperishability, and when the mortal has put on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. I want to dream big, and I want to work toward those dreams. In this Easter season, we've been examining the resurrection and how it impacts our lives, and I want to dream big, the dreams that God gives me. I want you to dream big. I want you to dream into those dreams God has given you. But not only do I want us to learn how to dream because of Easter, I want us to be able to work now toward those dreams. That Easter would propel us into living and working into those dreams that God gives. When I was on retreat a couple months back, I came across for the first time a short story by J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, many know Tolkien's work of The Hobbit and uh, Lord of the Rings, but I found this short story called Leaf by Niggle. Leaf by Niggle. And Niggle is the character in the story, and he's a painter, and he paints leaves. And as Tolkien says, he was very good at painting leaves, not so good at painting the rest of the tree, but he had this vision that he'd been given and leaf by leaf he would paint and there was a larger tree that he envisioned and beyond the tree, a larger forest and beyond the forest, a country with snow-peaked mountains. And this vision was so full in his mind that Niggle, the painter, builds this massive canvas that requires a ladder to be used so that he can paint this magnificent piece. Leaf by leaf, bit by bit, he paints his canvas, but he cannot finish. He cannot complete his work. Life keeps getting in the way. There's all kinds of limitations, and his canvas is incomplete, and he dies. And sometime after his death, the new owners of the home his home, find this massive crumbling canvas and all that remains is a corner with one leaf. And they, they take the leaf 
and they put it in a little frame and they hang it in the town museum and they call it Leaf by Niggle. And a few people wander by and see it. But this is not the end of the story. You'll have to wait till the end of the sermon to find out the end of the story. But I want to dream big. And in this life, I want to work passionately toward those dreams. And yet, isn't it true that life itself is the great dream crusher often, isn't it? Often the realities of life come in and they crush our dreams. Uh, One of the things that my children love doing is watching Monica and I uh, during emotional parts of movies. Uh, We're watching a movie and an emotional section will come up and especially the little kids, the little ones, they'll, they'll, they'll be watching the TV and then something emotional happened and they'll turn and they'll watch us. And then they'll go back and they'll turn again and watch. Are they crying yet? Right? And, and, and this is great, except we just are in the process of getting tickets to go see Les Mis with the whole family. Now, if you know Les Mis, the whole thing is emotional. Like it's a tearjerker from beginning to end. No matter how much we end up paying for these tickets, this is what my youngest children will end up doing the entire production. all the way through. But Le Mis, again, is a picture of how much our dreams can get shattered. What does Fantine sing? She says, I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell I'm living, so different now from what it seemed. Now life has killed the dream I dreamed. And my kids will be like watching us the whole time. But it's true. Life can kill our dreams. The realities of the limitations we face in our lives, they come along and they shatter our dreams. And so what do we do? We have a dream from God. Life gets in the way. Our limitations get in the way. And we put the dream in a little box and we stick it up on the mantelpiece. And on occasion, we go back and we crack open the lid and we look at that dream from God and we feel regret, we feel longing, but the dream has to stay on the shelf. But here's what Easter does. Easter enables us not just to dream again, but Easter enables us to begin to have the courage to step into those dreams now, to begin working towards those impossible dreams now. Because if I don't have the ability, the ability to get it done, I'm imperfect, or if I don't have the time to get it done, Easter will come in and deal with those dream crushers. Easter addresses those things that crush our dreams. And therefore, Easter enables us to begin working into those dreams even in this life now. Because as we see in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's great treatise on Easter, his great treatise on the resurrection, our future bodily resurrection, we see that we will be changed. 
That's the first thing that comes is we will be changed. We will not be the same. The limitations that we have now will not remain. We will be changed. But not only does Easter declare that we will be changed, it says that we will conquer. That limitation of time, that limitation of death will be conquered. We will not only be changed, we will be conquerors. And because of that all, Paul ends up finishing off this chapter by saying, therefore, our work continues. Therefore, because this resurrection is our future, because we will be changed, because we will conquer, then we are to continue in this work because the work continues and goes with us. First, Easter says, we will be changed. In response to the question of, I don't have the ability to do this, I don't have the ability now to fully press into these dreams. Verse 51 says, I will tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We shall all be changed, changed, transformed. And, and I need to be changed in my own life because my dreams are often crushed because of me. It's my own lack of ability, my own lack of faithfulness. What is broken in me is what breaks my dreams. I must be changed. One way to refer to is what verse 52 says, in the perishable. Verse 52 goes on to say, in a moment in a twinkling of the eye at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. You see, perishable, to perish, means to decay, to not last. But imperishable means that which lasts, that which is perfected before God. And so the promise here is that all that is broken in me, all that is imperfect and unable in me, will be transformed. You see, verse 53 goes on to say, for the perishable body, this perishable body must put on imperishability and this mortal body must put on immortality. And, and what Paul is saying there is this very body we have now is not something that just gets thrown into the wastebasket. But as we see from the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's a transformation, the word change. Our current bodies are changed into something greater, something more profound, something more perfected. I mean, we know how perishable we are, don't we? We know our lack of ability. We know our imperfections. We are so aware of them. And even our best work reflects our perishability, doesn't it? Doesn't even our best moments, our best work, still demonstrate that we are perishable? Ask the greatest artists, and they will tell you how much their art is lacking. The great Sir Lawrence Olivier was famous, the great Shakespearean actor, one of the greatest actors of the 20th century, was famous for being violently sick before every single performance. He knew his perishability. He knew his imperfections. He knew how broken he was. But Easter says that our perishability 
will put on imperishability. We will be transformed. You see, earlier in the chapter, Paul describes what this future body looks like for us. He says in verse 35, someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come with? You foolish person, Paul says, never mincing his words. What you sow in the ground does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow in the ground is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. Paul's point is this, that our current embodied life is the kernel, is the seed. What is to come is so much more. And yet, as he says, we must die just as that seed must die so that that new life can come. The new life that is promised to us is to have a perfected body, to have a body that is able, a body that is not perishable, but imperishable. And essentially, it's going to be a body like Jesus, Jesus' own resurrection body. As we read in chapter 24 here, Jesus stands there on the evening of the resurrection before them. The dead come to life, but he's not a spirit. He can still be touched. He can eat broiled fish, but there's more to him. He's glorified. And that glorified, perfected body of Jesus is a picture of what is coming for you and I. All of our imperfections, all of our limitations, do you hear this? All of our disappointments with our bodies now changed, transformed, imperishable. I visited a couple weeks ago my grandmother when I was in Ottawa. She turns 103 next month. And it was wonderful to see her. She had a stroke a couple years ago. And so as a result, she doesn't communicate very clearly anymore. But she is totally there, like completely aware. At one point in the conversation, I mentioned that our daughters, you know, our, our, some of our daughters are now teenagers. And I said, you know, the boys are starting to come around. And she said, ooh. <laughs> I mean, she's totally there. But I brought her communion, and as we shared communion together, even in this very frail moment, very much a picture of perishability, I knew that this communion that we share here around this table every Sunday is a foretaste of a future meal together when we are no longer perishable, but now have put on imperishability, where we will share that meal together, and my grandmother, by the grace of God, will speak back again to me. This is the hope we have. So what if our dreams that God gives us are bigger than our perishable lacking of abilities? So what if they're too big for us and our perishable abilities? Imperishability is coming. This is the promise. We'll be changed. But Easter also says not only are we changed, but Easter says we will conquer. In, in response to the question of do I have the ability to do this, I don't think I have the ability, this perishable ability, we are changed, but in response to the lack of time that we have, do, do I really have the time to press into this goal? We're conquerors, Easter says. Verse 54 and 55, Paul says, death has been swallowed up in victory. 
Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? You see, every time we experience that sense of a limited time, I don't know if I have the time to get this done. We're we're constantly battling with the time in our lives. Isn't it true that I would say in North Dallas, the greatest, most precious commodity we have in our lives is not money, it's time. Because it seems we have none of it. It's fleeting, it's passing away, it's falling through our fingers. I don't have enough time. And if you press that question forward far enough, that lack of time has to do with the reality of death because we are here for but a time. As Leo Tolstoy once said, what meaning has my life that the inevitability of my death does not destroy it? What meaning has my life that the inevitability of my death does not destroy? There was a group that was once asked in a survey, you know, what, uh, when you're in your casket, when you're laying in your casket, what will you most want people to say about you at your funeral? When you're lying in your casket, what will you want people most to say about you at your funeral? And one response says, well, I'd like people, I'd like to hear them say, you know, he was, he was a great leader among men. And another said, at my funeral, I would like to hear them say, he was a great husband, and a great father. And another says, at my funeral, I would like to hear them say, look, I, I think he's moving. We all face down the reality of our death. It's what limits our time. And yet, Paul says victory. Three times in this text, he says victory, 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 which means to conquer, conquering death. As one author writes, he says, when death stung Jesus, death stung itself to death. But here's the amazing thing. It's not just that Jesus is victorious over death in his resurrection. What Paul says in verse 57, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We become victors. We become conquerors in the face of death. That great mortal enemy comes at us, death, and Jesus, because of what he's done, has made us the victors. And it's so hard for us to grab a hold of this because verse 50 says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. What what Paul begins by saying is, it's impossible for us as we are, broken, incomplete sinners, to inherit a future. Death is coming and that's gonna be the end of it because death came on the scene because of our sinful rebellion. And yet verse 56, Paul says, the sting of death is sin. In other words, the weapon that death has is sin. And yet what has Jesus done? Jesus, as he hangs on the cross, bearing the sins of humanity, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God forsakes him in that moment because he is bearing the sin that you and I should bear ourselves. 
He deals with sin. As we read in, 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 in Luke chapter 24, in that, in that room the night of the resurrection, what does Jesus say to the disciples after his crucifixion and his resurrection? He says, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and the repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. The news is that because of the cross and the empty tomb that our sin has been taken and therefore our death has been taken. Therefore, thanks be to God who gives us the victory over death because of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why Paul has the audacity to mock death. He's sort of personifying death. Death with a capital D. Death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? You see where John Donne, the poet and the once dean of St. Paul's Cathedral, London, could write, death, be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. And then he concludes, one short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. This is what Jesus has accomplished for us. A week ago, many of you heard the news report, the horrible news report centered around the world of a Canadian junior hockey team, the Humboldt Broncos, whose bus on their way to game five of their playoff series was struck by a semi-trailer and 16 died in that crash. Annabelle and Monica and I lived for a short period of time an hour away from Humboldt, Saskatchewan. We know that community. And as we sat there with the grief of what this meant and watch the national memorial service that went on. I didn't know how to respond. And then I, I found something. I, I found a t-shirt of all things. And on the t-shirt, I found the gospel. And so I bought it. I said, I gotta I got get one of those for me and I gotta get one of those for Monica. And I said, I said, I'm going to get them because next year, as we go to one of our Dallas Stars games, we're going to wear those t-shirts because the t-shirt declares the gospel because as we saw in the memorial service, so many of those humbled Broncos players were walking with Jesus. And so here's the gospel on the t-shirt. It has the humbled Broncos logo. And then it says these words in bold, champions in heaven. Because though we are limited in this life, though we are limited with time, we are not overtaken. We are conquerors. We are victors because of what God has won for us in Jesus Christ. The game goes on. Our lives go on. It is not the end. So the dream is bigger than my limited time will allow. So what? Death has been conquered. But not only does Easter promise that we are changed? Not only does Easter promise that we are conquerors, 
But Paul then ends it all in verse 58 by saying, therefore, our work now continues. Because of that, our work continues. Verse 58, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. And Paul's talking about the work we're doing in this life. He's talking about the things we're pouring our lives into now. That work is not in vain. Why? Because we will be changed. Why? Because we are conquerors. Therefore, the work we're doing now will continue with us into eternity. The godly work that we're called to does not end here. It continues. It goes with us. There's this powerful moment in Revelation chapter 14, this description that's spoken over the faithful. There's Jesus the lamb and his faithful. And what does Revelation 14, 13 says? It says, I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, for they rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Their deeds follow them. Now, this is not deeds that have merited us a seat in heaven. It's not about us earning our way into heaven. No, we are there by grace alone. These deeds are the things that we've done, the work we do, the dreams from God that we've lived into that do not end. We take that work with us. What you are doing now, what you are pouring yourself into for God now is not forgotten and thrown away. It continues with us into the future because of what God has won for us in Jesus Christ. Even in the midst of our limitations, even in the midst of a lack of time and ability, the gospel tells us that we are to pour ourselves wildly into the work God gives us because it goes with us. The investment you're making now does not pass away. It goes with you and me if we are in Christ. There's a quote from Martin Luther that the confessing church, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and those in Germany in the German church during the Nazi years, standing up against power. Talk about feeling limited. Talk about facing down death every day. Do you know what they often would quote of Martin Luther in the face of that? Martin Luther who said, if I knew the world would end tomorrow, I would still plant an apple tree today. If I knew that the world would end tomorrow, I would still plant an apple tree today because of Easter, because it goes on, because their deeds follow them. I want to dream big. And I want to passionately work into those dreams for God. Life on earth at times may feel like it crushes our dreams. I don't have the ability, I don't have the time but Easter changes everything because Easter deals with those things that crush our dreams. Easter says, you're limited, fine, you will be changed. Easter says, I don't have enough time. And Easter says, it's okay, you will conquer time, you will conquer death. Easter says, therefore, work, work now. Pour yourself into the work of God now because it does not end. It continues, it goes with you. Niggle and his painting. 
the man who could paint leaves so well, trees not so well, but he had the vision, the tree and the forest and the country and the whole mountaintops with snow. The massive canvas he laid out, the ladder he erected, the painting he tried to paint, but he could not finish. And he was so defeated that he could not finish his painting and he died. And the new owners of the house found that crumbling canvas, took that little corner with just one leaf that remained, framed it, put it in a town museum, called it Leaf by Niggle, and a few people saw it. But that is not the end of the story, Tolkien says. That's not the end of the story. That would be so depressing if that was the end of the story. That would be so much what the world tells us is really going on, but that is not the end of the story. Because when Niggle gets to the outskirts of heaven, something catches his eye. He runs to it. And there it is. Tolkien writes, before him stood the tree. His tree. Finished. It's leaves opening, it's branches growing and bending in the wind that Niggle had so often felt or guessed and yet had so often failed to catch. He gazed at the tree and slowly he lifted his arms and opened them wide in worship and in thanksgiving and said these words, it is a gift. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.